I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Your fingernails are not supposed to be green unless you use green polish. Could it be chloronychia? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. nails are thick and ugly, what's causing the problem? Sometimes it's nail fungus, but bacteria can also cause mischief. What can you do to overcome such infections? Americans spend billions on hair products, from hair colors and straighteners to shampoo and conditioners. Products to combat hair loss are also popular. Is there anything that works to overcome hair thinning? Our expert guests will offer insights on alopecia and chloronychia. Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, they'll answer your questions about how to have healthy hair and nails. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, Influenza spread is accelerating. Experts suspect that we're poised for a bad flu season, similar to the one Australia just concluded. Infections are already widespread in Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, and New York, earlier than normal. High schools in San Diego, California, are also seeing a rash of absences due to flu-like illness. Dr. William Schaffner is an authority on influenza. He says this year's outbreak is starting a month early. For the past few years, influenza has not spread as much as expected, probably due in part to COVID-19 precautions such as masking and staying out of crowds. Now that those restrictions are gone, infectious disease experts anticipate quite a bit of flu. They're urging people to get their vaccinations and hoping to avoid a twindemic of COVID and influenza. Pediatricians are concerned that children under three will be especially susceptible since they've had little or no previous exposure to build up immunity. Most of the flu cases that have been tested are H3N2. That might be a bright spot since the vaccine this year includes antibodies against that strain. There's growing recognition that long COVID is becoming a serious challenge to health systems around the world. Doctors don't know what causes this condition in which symptoms persist for months or even years. There's currently no cure. That's why researchers are looking for potential treatments that could ease symptoms such as fatigue, shortness of breath, and brain fog. A pilot study involving the opioid antagonist naltrexone suggests that this unique compound might be beneficial. The drug is normally prescribed to help people overcome their dependence upon alcohol or narcotics. The usual dose is 50 milligrams daily. In this study, however, patients took only 1 to 3 milligrams. This low-dose naltrexone regimen helped ease symptoms of pain, insomnia, low energy, and trouble concentrating. People also reported less chest tightness and cough. The authors acknowledge that this was not a placebo-controlled trial and call for larger, more robust studies. Vaccination against COVID-19 helps cut down the risk of infection, but some people still get quite ill despite that protection. A study conducted at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs tried to identify who might be at risk for severe illness despite vaccination. 
The investigators analyzed medical records of more than 110,000 vaccinated veterans from December 2020 to February 2022. They defined severe disease as hospitalization within two weeks of a positive COVID test and or death. The risk for hospitalization rose with age. As a result, patients over 80 were more than 16 times more likely than those from 45 to 50 to become seriously ill with COVID. Immunocompromising conditions and immunosuppressive therapies also raised the risks. People who got booster doses of vaccine were only half as likely to develop severe COVID. For generations, children have been urged to eat their fruits and vegetables. Now, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has issued guidelines that support this advice. The recommendations are based on 157 controlled trials and 15 cohort studies. The experts suggest that everyone should get between 4 and 600 milligrams of flavonoids daily. These are the colorful compounds in vegetables, fruits, and other plant products. An article in the journal Advances in Nutrition points out that foods rich in flavonoids include apples, berries, cinnamon, tea, and cocoa. Researchers conducting the sister study shows that women who use hair straighteners may be in trouble. They followed more than 33,000 women for 11 years and diagnosed 378 cases of uterine cancer. People who had used a chemical hair straightener more than four times a year were 155% more likely to develop uterine cancer. Since these products are promoted primarily to women of color, that may help explain why they're more susceptible to aggressive uterine cancers. The absolute risk is still small, about 4 in 100 people who have used hair straighteners, compared to 1.64 in 100 for those who have not. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. I'm a medical anthropologist. And I'm Joe Graydon. I'm a pharmacologist. Today we're talking about hair and nails. Americans spend billions on hair care products, manicures, pedicures, and nail polish, nail strengtheners, and antifungal treatments. What do you need to know about how to have healthy hair and nails? We're excited to have two distinguished dermatologists as our guests today. Dr. Chris Adigan, here in the studio, practices both general dermatology and cosmetic dermatology at the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Adigan. Thank you for having me. We're pleased to have Dr. Warren Heyman available through the magic of technology. He is head of the Division of Dermatology at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University in Camden, New Jersey. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Heyman. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a delight to be here with you today. We're interested in your questions, so we invite you to call or email us. What questions do you have about your fingernails or your toenails? Have you conquered fungal infections with drugs or home remedies? Our lines are open, 888-472-3366. You can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That number again, 888 472 Thirty-three sixty-six. 
uh, Dr. Heyman, we're going to turn to you first because we received a question several weeks ago, and it went like this. My husband has toenail fungus that has made his big toenails green. He doesn't usually remember to put anything on them. I've got him soaking his sock in Listerine. Will this help or not? So this seemed like a very uh, unusual approach, but it also seemed like an unusual symptom. Unusual enough, I thought maybe we'd learn something if I put it in Google, which I did. And on the very first Google page right near the top was your article on green nail syndrome that was published in Dermatology World Insights and Inquiries. You titled it Going Green, the Complexities of the Green Nail Syndrome. Ah, We had no idea there even was such a syndrome. So please tell us about this. It even has a fancy medical name. Well, that's true. And it's called chloronychia, uh, chloro meaning green, uh, nickia meaning nail. Um, Very few dermatology residents would even recognize that it's also known as the golden fox syndrome. Now, you have to understand green nails are not bad. If you are in the Philadelphia region, everybody has green nails because the eagles are undefeated. <laughs> um, but that's because we're painting them green. Right. Um, it's a very common problem. Uh, and uh, what you, when you see green in the nails, and that could be a very variable green from a very dark green, almost looking black, uh, to a much brighter green, uh, that's due to a bacteria called uh, Pseudomonas. Pseudomonas makes a pigment called pyocyanin or pyoverdin, and that's what gives the color. But the question is, how did that bacteria get there? Uh, Usually people don't have that in and of itself. Uh, The most common reason that it uh, occurs is because the environment makes it easy for that bacteria to grow there. How does that happen? The most common reason is called onycholysis. Again, onico means nail, lysis means splitting or separation. And if you look at your own nails carefully, uh, chances are they're not green and you have beautiful nails, I'm sure. Um, But if you lose the seal just below the edge of the nail, uh, that's called the hyponychium. And that acts as a barrier, a seal to prevent moisture from getting in. And Pseudomonas loves moisture. Uh, that's, that allows the bacteria to flourish. So onycholysis is usually due to trauma, a lot of wet work, uh, whether you're a hairdresser or just doing the dishes a lot. Certainly people who manipulate their nails and break the seal allows for the nail to separate and for the organism to grow. When you see a nail that's green, yes, we call it green nail or pseudomonas, and uh, that's the obvious But it's not often the primary cause. As a matter of fact, it usually, as I mentioned, is not the primary cause. It may be reflecting another problem. What could that problem be? Well, it could be, as I mentioned, onycholysis, the separation, which is the most common problem. But there can be a fungal toenail infection that, you know, causes a break in the seal that allows the pseudomonas to grow there in addition, and the nail appears very green. Uh, Or it could be underlying nail pathology. Um, So what we want to do is try to clear up that green and see what's going on in addition. So very commonly, yes, that gentleman uh, or, uh, you know, who 
whose wife uh, wrote about, uh, may very well have a fungal toenail infection that's secondarily infected with the pseudomonas. He could also have another problem. So we want to see when we're examining, is this one nail? Is it multiple nails? Is there onycholysis? Is it a thick toenail that could be fungus? Is it a solitary nail that uh, there's... Well, Dr. Heyman, I think think what our listeners are especially interested in is, okay, yeah, I have green nails. Yuck. They're ugly. What can I do about them? How do I get rid of that infection? Okay. Uh, that's of course they could do that. But the first thing they have to understand is why do they have it? Uh, because the approach may be different. In terms of getting rid of the organism, the pseudomonas, that you could help that with home remedies. I don't know about Listerine offhand, but certainly uh, acetic acid, which is vinegar and water. You take two tablespoons of vinegar and a pint of water and soak your nails for five minutes, you know, a couple of times a day will help leach out the pigment and make them less green. You could use bleach uh, in a dilution of uh, one to four. So, you know, uh, a tablespoon of of uh, regular Clorox uh, and then four tablespoons of, of uh, water in that combination. That could help leach out the pigment. If that's not working, uh, you could go on oral antibiotics. Usually we could use topical antibiotics like tobramycin, gentamicin, or Cipro. These are usually solutions that are uh, for the eyes, uh, you know, tobramycin or Cipro ophthalmic solution. But if you put a little bit of that at the edge of the nail plate, that'll help get rid of the green. But I, I, I can't overemphasize. It just, it's, that's a secondary problem. Yes, they, you may say, ugh, or they're ugly. You really better be certain there's not an underlying issue that needs to be addressed. Even a melanoma that's sitting under the nail, if it's separating the nail, can turn green and dark green rather than black. And so you may get rid of the green color, but make sure that's a normal nail underneath or get rid of the underlying problem that caused it. You so are- it's worth seeing a dermatologist. Yes, absolutely. You're listening to Dr. Warren Heyman. Uh, he is the head of the Division of Dermatology at Cooper Medical School at Rowan University in Camden, New Jersey. And we're taking your calls and questions. Our lines are open, 888-472-3366. If our lines are full, you can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. In the studio, Dr. Chris Adigan, also here to answer your questions. And we go to Shelley in Parsippany, New Jersey. Shelley, your question, please. Hello. So uh, I banged my large toenail uh, a, a while ago. It, uh-huh. turned completely, it turned completely black. Uh, it took several months and it eventually fall, fell off. The underlying newer toenail underneath is starting to grow. However, it seems to have kind of stop midway, uh, and I'm wondering, will I get a normal size toenail eventually or not? Dr. Hattigan. Um, The good news is the likelihood of you growing a new toenail is very high, and it just takes so long. It takes 12 to 18 months to regrow a toenail. That's not to say that people don't get traumatized nails from dropping something or kicking something. And they don't regrow, but the fact that you have have a nail that started to regrow is already excellent news. You know, it just seems sometimes that when you bang your nail, it 
it turns that really ugly black color. Why is that? Well, that's exactly what Shelley described, this black toenail, and that is almost always hemorrhage. So when you bleed under the nail, it kind of gets trapped under there. And as it is more or less processed by your body, the byproduct colors are black. It's kind of like a bruise. It's just like a bruise. So, Dr. Edigan, what are the most common nail problems you see in your practice? Oh, my goodness. I see lots of different nail problems because that is my um, academic area of expertise. So I do see cases as simple as um, toenail fungus, which is like incredibly common in our um, here in the United States. But then really persistent fingernail problems that could be due to autoimmune disease or primary inflammatory syndrome or secondary to different types of manicuring practices. And then, of course, I see a fair share of malignancies. I do want to ask you about nail fungus because I think Everybody diagnoses their fungus like, okay, my nails are a little yellow, they're a little crumbly, they look ugly, it must be fungus. We have just about a minute to the break. Sometimes, as Dr. Heyman pointed out, it's not just fungus, it can also be bacterial. So typically speaking, there is some type of trauma or primary disease, malignancy, or more common fungus that causes the nail to become deformed. And then that allows bacteria to grow. So it is kind of creating this environment for these secondary bacterial infections. In fact, I call them a colonization, if anything, because they are colonizing that space. We need to treat the primary problem. And so just using some of those home remedies may not do the trick or even antifungal approaches if there's also bacteria involved. Actually, I have great luck treating the primary fungal infection. If you treat the primary problem, then the secondary problem often goes away all by itself. Okay. Oh, that's good news indeed. Well, we... And we are talking with Dr. Chris Adigan. She is the... Uh, She's the dermatologist at the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We're also talking with Dr. Warren Heyman, head of the Division of Dermatology at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University. After the break, we're going to talk about cracked fingertips. They can hurt like heck. What causes them and what can you do about them? We're also going to talk about hair loss. There was a recent article in the New York Times about low-dose oral minoxidil. Topically, minoxidil is known as Rogaine, but now people are taking it as a pill. Now, Dr. Heyman has written about this off-label approach. He'll share his wisdom. Our lines are open, 888-472-3366. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements. Cocovia delivers clinically proven levels of cocoflavanols, phytonutrients that benefit cardiometabolic health. New guidelines from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics recommend that we each consume 400 to 600 milligrams of flavonthriols daily. The best way to do that is to consume a range of colorful berries, fruits, vegetables, tea, and cocoa. Cocoa Via Cardio Health in capsules and powder makes it easy with 500 milligrams of flavanols in each daily dose. Cocovia Cardio Health contains the same ingredient as the Cosmos study, a landmark five-year clinical trial with over 21,000 participants studying cocoflavanols and heart health. Use the promo code 
F-L-A-V-20, that's FLAV20, for 20% off any cardio or brain health product. It's at Cocovia, C-O-C-O-A-V-I-A, Cocovia.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs, providing transparency through its Meet Your Herbs platform, tracing the origin and DNA of each product. More information at GaiaHerbs, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. Today we are talking with Dr. Warren Heyman, head of the Division of Dermatology at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University. He's also a clinical professor of dermatology at the Perlman School of Medicine of the University of Pennsylvania. In our studio, we have Dr. Chris Adigan of the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Our lines are open for your questions about how to have healthy hair and nails. The number 888-472-3366. If our lines are full, you can send us an email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That phone number again, 888-472-3366. And we did have a call. I think it has dropped from Will in Greensboro, North Carolina, who wants to ask about a dark line running down the center of his toenail. Do you have any idea what that could be, Dr. And Adigan? he says he runs a lot. So, Dr. Adigan, how would, uh, how would a runner end up with this dark line thing? So... It actually is kind of insignificant, his activity. Um, a dark line arises in the nail due to pigment-producing cells in the nail-making tissue known as the nail matrix producing pigment. And often it is benign, but sometimes it is not. So he should definitely see a dermatologist to get it checked out. He should have it evaluated, especially if it's on a solitary nail. Okay. Terry, we have an email from Bonnie. Okay. Uh you see it and I don't. Please uh, read it, Joe. Okay. Oh, okay. I see it now. Uh, Bonnie says, I'm 60 years old. I have had ridges on my thumbnails and several of my fingernails for the last several years. I have no medical issues. I eat a healthy diet. I don't know what this is. Is there any way to get back to smooth nails? Dr. Heyman, we hear a lot from people about ridges. What's that about? Well, if we were on a Zoom, I'd show you my nails. Uh, I'm 67. I have them, too. Uh, I don't like to say it's due to age, but I will say it's due to maturity. Uh, <laughs> if you look at uh, older nails, uh, and uh, it tends to lose moisture over time. This is called onychorexis, these fine lines that are going from the uh, what's called the proximal nail fold out to the edge. And... Um, it's it's really a very common problem. It's not, I don't consider it a disease. It's like your hair turning gray, you're getting these ridges on the nails. Not too much you're able to do about it. Uh, you can soak the nails, get a little bit more moisture in, put some Vaseline on there, but it's part of your process. Now. And nothing to worry about. Uh, if that's what's, uh, if it's onychorexis playing that way, no, not really. Anytime people have nail changes like that, uh, and, uh, 
you know, I don't know her medical background. Sometimes people with thyroid disease could have uh, nail changes from excessive dryness if they're hypothyroid, but there's no need to go run out and check your thyroid function if you're having regular onocorexis. Thank you for that, uh, Dr. Okay. Heyman. Let's go back to the phones, Terry. Let's talk to Bill in Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Hi, Bill. Oh, thank you. Uh, I, I just want to first say thank you for improving my education about health. It's, uh, you have a wonderful program. Thank you. Regarding, regarding uh, cracked finger knuckles and uh, especially in the wintertime, I've lived in two northern states, and I just simply put on some Vaseline. It's very inexpensive and smear it on, and it seems to prevent it. That's it. Oh, great. Well, thank thanks so that. much, Bill. Well, you know, Dr. Adigan, I, I have to tell you, cracked finger tips, tips hurt really hurt if you try to you know do your buttons or even type on a keyboard which i do ouch and if you're typing on a keyboard bill's tip about vaseline is less practical because you don't want to smear up the keyboard with vaseline vaseline works great at night if you're going to bed and if you have like white cotton gloves that photographers used to use when they handled negatives, but um, it's hard to use during the day. What do you recommend? One of the things that I do for Terry, because she often complains about this, is I use um, liquid glue. Instant Instant glue. glue. And they they do make a glue that is supposed to be for bandages, so liquid bandage. But what we use is the household instant glue. Dr. Adigan, is this okay? Absolutely. I mean, especially if you do develop the fissures on the the tips of your fingers and you want to prevent them from widening. I mean, much like using clear nail polish on a run in your pantyhose, it's like you, you use the instant glue on your fingertips for those little cracks. You do try to make the most of those nights, though. So really using an emollient such as a petrolatum under gloves to give your hands the best chance to heal overnight so that they can more or less survive the day is a great choice. And Dr. Heyman, do you have any insights on cracked or split fingertips? Well, the idea of crazy glue or methacrylate is fine, assuming you're not allergic to it, because some people are. So just Uh keep that in mind. But Vaseline, which is a marvelous moisturizer, just think about it. Your skin is dry and it acts as a sealant. It often helps to get some moisture in before you put the Vaseline on. So if your fingertips are dry and cracking and you want to use Vaseline, and I understand why you may not want to use that on your laptop, but assuming you're not, you want to soak your hands for a few minutes so your fingertips turn wrinkly like you were a kid in a bathtub. Then put the Vaseline on. It helps seal some moisture in. Makes a lot of sense. Julie in Bluffton, South Carolina, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Julie? Uh, have we dragged Julie down where she belongs? I did, but perhaps it didn't Let's try go. again. Mm. Hello. Right. Oh, there she is. Hi, Julie. Hi, Hello, Julie. Hello, I'm sorry. No worries. What's Good up? Morning. Well, I have a funny shape of nail. They flare. Rather than maybe curving down when they grow, they tend to flip out. And it's kind of uncomfortable, and it's not as pretty as I would like my nails to be. I wonder if there's... Uh, maybe I'm missing some vitamin or maybe even uh, gelatin or something I could take to help it. Well, my message longer. here on the screen says that your nails have a ski slope look. 
Uh, I'm thinking like like a ski jump. So, Dr. Adigan, what's going on with Julie? Well, Julie's nails sound a lot like what we call spoon nails or coilonychia. Most cases are in otherwise healthy people, and it's idiopathic. Sometimes we see a little idiopathic. Bit, it means we word. have no idea. Which, right. Yes, it's like we're an idiot, so we don't know what pathology is, <laughs> and so. We do like to make sure that's the case. Um, there are reported cases of cholonychia that's been associated with iron deficiency, so we typically like to rule that out. But we also see it more often in patients with atopic dermatitis or eczema or skin that tends to be on the drier or more reactive side. And then there's the whole host of cases where it's just how you're made. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't sound very helpful. Just can't do much about it. Okay. All right. Sorry, Sorry. about that, Julie. Sorry, Julie. Okay, Terry, um, I think it's time. Is it time? It's time. It's time to talk about hair loss. And I, I have to tell you Are that you sure you don't want to talk about splitting nails first? One last nail one question? One last nail question. Okay. And where are we going? Sarasota, Florida. Michelle, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Tell us about your nails. Good morning. Yes, I have a problem. And it's uh, my nails are splitting. Um, and the reason why I think it is is because I use bleach to bleach my kitchen and stuff like that, but then I don't put the gloves on because I get lazy to put the gloves on. So now, could the bleach cause my nails to split? Dr. Adigan, bleach, nails, maybe not such a great combination? That's right, Michelle. I think that you've made your very own diagnosis that exposure to irritants can cause your nails to split both in the vertical plane or in the horizontal plane, causing onycholysis, like Dr. Heyman had discussed earlier. And wearing gloves and protecting your nails and fingertips from irritants will go a long way. So, Michelle, you need to get yourself some gorgeous rubber gloves and wear them. Okay? Thank you very much for that. Thank you for the call. So let's change gears a bit. We can yep. take more questions about nails in a moment. But first, let's talk about hair. The New York Times absolutely impacted the world of dermatology a few weeks back when there was an article about oral minoxidil. Now, I think a lot of people have heard about Rogaine and the ingredient is, in fact, minoxidil. It was a blood pressure pill. It was... I won't say ever very popular because it had a lot of serious side effects. A few people still take it for serious blood pressure problems. Right. But, but during the clinical trial, they had a hard time getting the drug back from the people who were in No, the, no, 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 no. You're thinking about a different drug. Am I thinking about a different drug? Yes, oh, you you're think thinking Viagra? about Viagra. I, right. Well, I think they the, also but, noticed. Well, a lot of people were not too pleased right. with the fact that they were growing, growing hair, hair everywhere. Right. Not just on their heads, yes. but on, on their, their faces. Face. And so that's how Rogaine came about as a topical solution. But now, here in the New York Times, we're reading about oral minoxidil. And Dr. Heyman, it didn't take you very long to write about this. In fact, I think you beat the New York Times in your article. Tell us about oral minoxidil, the dose, what the pros and cons are, and, and how effective is it really to grow hair? Well, as you mentioned, Joe, this has been, Rogaine's been around since 1988, and minoxidil was used since the 1960s, and why it was discovered as such was because when people were using it for hypertension, they noticed to grow hair everywhere, 
and a dermatologist named Gunter Kahn were developing the, the topical solution. So I was as surprised when I started to read articles about this because I remember waiting anxiously for Rogaine to be released in 1988. How exciting. I never even dreamt of using it orally uh, because of the side effects. Um, and Dr. Rodney Sinclair uh, noticed initially on a patient uh, who was not tolerating the topical agent to possibly desensitize them by using a low dose orally, as was often used in desensitization, and, and it worked. Uh, and he subsequently used it in thousands of, of patients, and uh, it started to take hold. And uh, I was as surprised about this as anyone. So, yes, it's a potent uh, antihypertensive. Lots of potential side effects that are black box warnings, most notably what's uh, fluid around the heart, what's called a pericardial effusion that can cause cardiac tamponade where the heart really uh, has difficulty uh, beating. Uh, legs can swell up, you can have an arrhythmia, but that's more on, on standard high doses. The low dose uh, is less than five milligrams, uh, and it's been used in a variety of ways. I'll tell you how I use it in a moment. But um, so a standard dose for hypertension will be between five and 40 milligrams. So the low dose uh, is between, well, it could be as low as a quarter of a milligram, but most people, including myself, will start in women at 1.25 milligrams a day. Uh, in men, 2.5. If women are tolerating it and it's not working that well, I'll go up to 2.5, and most people tolerate it very, very well. The advantage is, is it's a lot easier to take take a pill than it is to put Rogaine on your head because that's work. Uh, some people find it irritating, uh, maybe not like don't like this solution or the foam. Uh, and um, But having said that, I still prefer to start with topical minoxidil. It's a good product. Uh, it works about a third of the times. It slows down hair loss about a third of the time. And about a third of the time, it doesn't work. But now that this has uh, become more popular, people have been asking for it directly, and I have no objection as long as we go over the side effects and make sure there are no drug interactions and they understand the black box warnings. And uh, it seems to be working rather well. My data personally is not scientific. I've given it to a handful of patients, uh, and uh, they seem to be pleased and tolerating it well. Not everybody tolerates it well. Uh, I had one person who um, had uh, an unusual, well, unusual to me, uh, gastrointestinal side effect that uh, just didn't tolerate it for whatever reason. But so far, so good. Dr. Adigan, what's your experience with oral minoxidil? Uh, does it parallel Dr. Heyman's? It's actually quite similar in that patients were, I mean, calling all day long after this was um, published in the New York Times. And thankfully, oral minoxidil is not new to us. But like to use it for hair loss, given, you know, a medication with a black, black box warning in the hypertensive space, you know, we're going to have some apprehension because it's typically kind of beyond outside of our scope of practice, practice to manage hypertension. However, we knew it could work. But that review article that was initially pub, um, published, of course, our medical realm known as PubMed and then um, covered by the New York Times really did a nice job of putting lots of tiny little studies together so that we could have a better grasp of how to dose it, 
what should be aware of, be aware of, and how can we best educate our patients? Now, I've also seen some dermatologists are prescribing this low dose, one two milligram dose of minoxidil, together with a diuretic called spironolactone. Why would you do that? Um, so spironolactone um, blocks the um, one of the different types of testosterone receptors on the hair follicle, and so it has great utility for hormonal acne as well as primarily for female pattern hair loss. And so I do have patients on both medications, and I do dose it identically to Dr. Heyman with a one-half 2.5-milligram tablet. So the lowest dose that the minox- oral minoxidil comes in is a 2.5-milligram tablet, and I have them break it in half. Now, female pattern hair loss, what's that? Well, female pattern hair loss is also basically the, the female version of androgenetic alopecia um, that tends to run in families. And we know that it has an androgen-mediated component that leads to hair loss in a specific pattern on the head. Okay. Joe? So you really can grow hair. You really can grow hair on your head and on your face. But if you are bald, if you have no hair, I'm guessing minoxidil is not going to give you a full head of hair in a couple of weeks. That's an important conversation with the patient that we know as managing expectations. So yes, as long the, we are a lot better at maintaining hair than we are at growing brand new hair. Well, we also want to talk about a very serious condition called alopecia areata, but we don't have time well, to we, address it we before have, the break. We I have don't one think. minute. Okay, one minute. Jack, J A K inhibitors, <laughs> Janus kinase inhibitors, diabetes drugs. You have one minute. So these have exploded into the dermatologic space for management of different types of inflammatory conditions in the skin, from atopic dermatitis all the way to alopecia areata and its cousin, vitiligo. And they are showing great utility in both the topical and systemic forms. So vitiligo? Yes. Vitiligo is when there's autoantibodies to the little pigment cells and you are left with depigmented patches on your skin. You're listening to Dr. Chris Adigan. Am I too early? No, you're right on time. You're listening to Dr. Chris Adigan of the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We're also talking with Dr. Warren Heyman, head of the Division of Dermatology at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University. Dr. Heyman is on the board of directors of the American Board of Dermatology. So we are going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk more about hair and nail problems. And when the heat comes on, a lot of us end up with something that is very familiar. It's called dry skin. I bet the dermatologists have a name for it. I'm sure. We'll find out what it is. What can we do about it? (laughs) Well, that's a good question. And we'll talk about the microbiome of our scalp. Our lines are open for you at 888-472-3366. If the lines are full, you can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. Give us a call. Hair and Nails, that's what we're talking about. 888-472-3366. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. 
Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, offering plant-based nutrients in the form of cocoflavanols for brain and heart health. Online at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial. More information at Gaia. G-A-I-A herbs.com. Today, we're discussing how to have healthy hair and nails and what to do when problems arise. Our guests are Dr. Warren Heyman, head of the Division of Dermatology at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University. He is professor of pediatrics as well as, well as professor of dermatology. We're also talking with Dr. Chris Adigan of the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And you can chime in with your questions. Our number is 888 472 3366. You can send us an email. We love your email messages at radio at peoplespharmacy.com. And before we go back to the questions, I just have one quickie myself. Dr. Adigan, thick toenails, your favorite clipper. I mean, is there a better way to clip thick especially toenails, because, you know, there are scissors, there, there are clippers, but is, is there like one brand or some kind that you, you recommend to people who say, I'm just having a hard time? Not a brand, um, but a shape. So there's the traditional clipper that works for some, but not for all. And generally speaking, the larger they are, the more torque is on it. And so the more likely it's going to be able to get through that thick toenail. But they also have clippers that almost look like scissors and that allows you to kind of, if your hands are getting a little bit tired over time um, with arthritis, it's easier to squeeze and they have a clipper at the end of it. And so, but that shape is a little bit easier for people that have very thick toenails to kind of whittle away at the end. Okay. We're going to ask you to see if you can find a picture for us. That we can share on our website. And we'll put it on the website because that would be very helpful. I'm having a hard time imagining exactly what that looks like. Well, and we are going back to the phones. John in Wilmington, Delaware, thanks for being patient. What is your question? Hello, and thanks for taking my question, and thanks for your show. It's expanded to two questions. The first is my girlfriend at 70 years old came down with COVID two months ago, and she's on the, now the long-haul COVID person. But when she started, she, all her hair on the back of her head came out. So she's wondering if what she can do and if it will ever come back. And along with that was the COVID toe syndrome, if there's anything dermatology can do for that. Thank you. What, 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 what okay, is... now, so so let's ask the dermatologist. Well, first of all, what, I want to know what John's talking about. COVID toe. We're going to ask Dr. Adigan, oh. what is COVID toe? So this was a nice moment for dermatologists to have some relevance when the COVID pandemic began because we were noticing that patients were coming in with these more or less reddish-looking lesions on the tips of their digits, often their toes, and 
we have discovered through different types of histopathologic analysis of the tissue that it kind of mimics other diseases in dermatology, oftentimes vascular in nature, some of them autoimmune in nature. And the truth is we still have a lot to learn in this, and we see it just as often in mild cases as they see it in severe cases, which is also interesting. Now, John, you've said your girlfriend uh, is in the long haul. Have her COVID toes cleared up? No, that she still has it. She and still has She still lost her hair, too. Okay, so and now we're going to move on to the hair question. Dr. Heyman. I just want to go back to the COVID toes for okay. one second. Uh, it, it mimics this disease and very similar, uh, as Dr. Adigan mentioned, to something called pernia. Now, in a 70-year-old woman who had COVID, It causes a lot of vascular injury, and we often see a lot of other inflammatory conditions associated with COVID. And I just wouldn't say automatically it's COVID toes, especially in a 70-year-old woman. And I think she should be assessed to make sure she has no other problems, such as lupus or something called cryoglobulins, and just not assume that it's a COVID toe. As far as the hair loss is concerned, we see a tremendous amount of hair loss with COVID. Most of the time, it's what's called a telogen effluvium. A telogen effluvium is a cycling problem, and I'm sure many listeners have experienced this themselves. Women who were pregnant a few months later start shedding a lot of hair. Anybody who had a febrile illness, a major surgery, even major life stresses, and COVID can be a major life stress. That's the likelihood uh, that she has a cycling issue that should resolve over time. And here, topical or even oral Rogaine can help set the course straight. But again, I would be assessed to make sure it's uh, that's what the issue is. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to go to the email, Terry, while you pick up the next call. Sure. This comes from someone with a condition called frontal fibrosing alopecia, which I have no idea what that is. And the person says, I was recently diagnosed with this. The entire syndrome, I believe, started more than 15 years ago. I lost the hair on my legs. Then about 10 years ago, my eyebrows. Now my hairline is receding rapidly. My dermatologist prescribed a variety of things, but the topical medication tacrolimus and a corticosteroid seem to make my forehead recession more and skin more inflamed and worse. I'm also taking hydroxychloroquine, which seems to work better than the other drugs. She told me the disease uh, was rare, but, boy, it's causing me (laughs) trouble. So, Dr. Adigan, what the heck is frontal fibrosing alopecia? Well, frontal fibrosing alopecia is probably not rare, sadly. Um, We see it pretty commonly. It happens more often in women and more often in women over the age of 40. And it does typically start at least on the head and neck with the eyebrows and kind of move upwards towards the anterior hairline. We do know that this is an inflammatory and fibrosing condition, like she said. And whenever you know, your your doctor, your dermatologist is discussing lots of different treatments. That means that no one treatment is more or less the silver bullet. And so finding a treatment regimen that ameliorates her disease with side effects that she can tolerate for a long period of time because it is a chronic disease is the challenge. Okay, let's go to Dallas, Texas. Karen, you're on the People's Pharmacy. What is your question, please? Good morning. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to ask you, um, I've been on a diet since the beginning of the year, and I'm swimming a lot, like 
three and four hours a day. I've lost 60 pounds, but I'm also eating a lot of tuna fish, and I've noticed that I'm getting the female pattern bonus towards the top of my head, and I'm just wondering, could it be the swimming or the tuna fish, or is it just 74 years old? And I noticed that uh, the message on the screen says you're also dieting, so it's uh, you're and dieting and, and said tuna that. fish. Yeah, okay. Karen said that. Dr. Adigan? Um, well, Karen, it sounds like you've had a really big year and with some major life changes. Um, but whenever there is like an extreme dietary change, it can stimulate more or less similar to what Dr. Heyman was talking about earlier, what's called a telogen effluvium, which can alter your hair cycle when you start losing more or cycling through your growing hairs faster than we want you to. But it sounds like you do have this underlying female pattern um, that you described at the top of your head. So perhaps you have a little bit of both, that your life changes and maybe dietary changes have led to a telogen effluvium that has unmasked your underlying female pattern. We have an email from Mary, and Mary says, my beautician recommended a biotin hairspray for massage into my scalp. So what about biotin? Let's go back to that issue. Is there some magic about biotin, topical or oral, and are there any other concerns with biotin? Um, I'll go ahead and start that, sadly, there is nothing magical about either topical or oral biotin. We have not been able to show really any utility for biotin orally or topically for growing or maintaining hair or nails. And it's not, you know, benign in a sense that although we don't think of oral biotin as being dangerous, we we do know that it can affect your laboratory studies by your primary care doctor, which can lead to a delay in diagnosis of much more serious disease. Especially thyroid. Especially thyroid. Let's go back to the phones. Kim in Dallas, Texas, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Hi, thank you. So I have a question about hair loss. I'm 63, <clears throat> and I started using estradol. I, I guess you're familiar with that about a year ago, more than a year ago. And my hair started rapidly thinning and falling out in clumps. And after about eight months later, I figured out that was what it was. So I stopped. Um, my dermatologist prescribed um, this compound of minoxidil, spironolactone, biotin, and latanoprost, and Nutrafol. And so my hair started growing back really quite well in three months. I mean, it, it really did. But the compound, it started to irritate my scalp. I guess it was like after repeated uses because it didn't irritate it at first. And she suggested the oral minoxidil. Um, that was my original question, but after listening to your discussion, I don't think I want that at all. It sounds terrible. And I'm already on uh, high blood pressure medicine, so I think I want to stay away from it. But do you all have any experience or comments on the efficacy of some of these um, botanicals like, you know, Vegamore makes a topical product and so does Nutrafol? Because I want to use a, a topical in addition to the Nutrafol vitamins because it'll make my hair grow in faster. Okay. Dr. Edigan, any advice for Kim? So, yes, there are so many products on the market right now that um, say that they promote hair growth that are topical and they sound botanical and they sound safe. But sadly, they don't have an enormous amount of data to support their use and they're not cheap. Whereas maybe trying the minoxidil all by itself and not in a compound, you may be able to get all the benefit with less irritation. 
I'm going to go to Dr. Heyman on this one, if he can. This is an email from Michael. Uh, Michael says, uh, hi, guys. I don't know if this is a dermatological question or not. I have celiac disease, and it seems to be causing a rash. Is that something you've ever heard about, Dr. Heyman? Uh, yes, and uh, I, I just, if I may, I just want to get back to that question of that uh, lady who lost 50 pounds who's eating a lot of tuna. Yes. Um, very important. Uh, there's mercury in tuna. And I don't know, I have a tuna fish sandwich a lot during the week, but some people go on fad diets. And if they're having a lot of tuna, they, they could have mercury. And mercury can cause uh, reversible hair loss. So uh, if she's just eating tuna all day long, I would get a mercury level and make sure that that's not an issue and uh, cut back on the tuna. Thank you for um, that. As far as, you're welcome. So, <laughs> Celiac disease in skin is a very well-known association. Uh, the most classic is dermatitis herpetiformis, which is a very itchy rash that affects the uh, elbows, the scalp, the buttocks. And so to answer the question is yes. The, uh, the key question for this gentleman is to get assessed for this rash. That can be proven on a biopsy. Uh, blood work, we know he has celiac disease, so I assume that's proven either by blood work or uh, he's had a bowel biopsy. So, um, yes, you should be assessed, pure and simple. Okay. Thank you for that. One other news item. We talked about the New York Times bringing low-dose oral minoxidil to everybody's attention. But another news item that cropped up this week is the association between hair straighteners and uterine cancer. And we know that these hair straighteners are, are primarily promoted to women of color who have not straight hair, and they also seem to have a higher incidence of uterine cancer. Um, and the, this study did show a connection. The, the absolute risk was not very high, but the relative risk was, you know, was definitely there. Would either of you, Dr. Adigan or Dr. Heyman, uh, wish to comment on this? Dr. Adigan. Well, I, I must say that it's, it's devastating to hear something like this. Hair straighteners among um, people with very curly hair, tightly coiled hair, you know, this has been marketed, I mean, for many, many decades. And it's due to social norms that are um, often unachievable for people with curly hair. And I have four children, all with tightly coiled curly hair. And hearing data like this is scary. It is scary, and I think it is a time when we need to kind of look inward as a society and think, okay, what role do we play in this, and how can we make this better? Dr. Heyman? Well, uh, in all honesty, I have not read or looked at that study. But, you know, over the years, there have been associations with many hair care products. For example, there was a while with hair coloring uh, with risk of lymphoma, and there may be a small risk, but a very small risk. Uh, so I can't comment on this particular study because I'm not familiar with it. Uh, so I won't make any over, overarching statements. Uh, my feeling is, you know, perhaps, who knows? And, and I, as I said, I don't want to comment. But often, never rely on one study. <laughs> uh, I, I think anything like this, an association, especially if there's a small relative risk, uh, I would just let it raise a question. 
and then let's see how it how it plays out. Okay. Um, okay. Well, we will uh, stay tuned for more information. Absolutely, Terry. We have just time for one email from one Peter. Last email from Peter. He wants to know about red light therapy for hair loss. He says there are caps or hats with an array of red LED bulbs that are supposed to increase hair growth if your hair is thinning. Is there any efficacy? Do we know anything about that? Dr. Adigan, any ideas? So, yes, I, I do have some ideas. And it is interesting because there's so many of these caps um, marketed, I mean, caps, wands, brushes. And in many ways, it feels like they've been around for a long time. We used to see these caps in the little catalogs they'd put on the airplane. You know, these kind of uh, high-tech stores would market them. And the reality is there is there is a, a a kernel of truth in all of this, and that the wavelengths that we discovered that could promote hair growth were discovered at the same time as the wavelengths that we discovered to use that destroyed hair. So we've been doing laser hair removal highly effectively for decades now, but why can't we seem to utilize this particular wavelength to promote hair growth more effectively? And the reason is, is because it just takes a few in-office treatments with a laser to get rid of hair forever on your body, but hair loss is a lifelong disease. And to be able to deliver that energy at the correct wavelength, at the correct energy level to someone's entire scalp for their lifetime, all right, that's a really challenging device to manufacture. And I have one last question. We don't have time to take it, but somebody wants to know soft fingernails, gelatin, how well does it work? Didn't help this person. Is there anything else they can do in the 10 seconds we have left? Soft fingernails is often just another way to be. And taking gelatin orally or topically is not going to change the composition of your nails. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Abigan. That is all the time we have. Thank you for listening and for calling in your stories and your questions. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Chris Adigan of the Dermatology and Laser Center of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Dr. Warren Heyman, head of the Division of Dermatology at Cooper Medical School of Rowan University. He also is... Um, the recipient of the Medical Dermatology Society Award for Lifetime Achievement. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Heyman. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Pamela Alberta and Ayasi Chinflu provided technical assistance. Al Wadarski engineered the People's Pharmacy theme music. Listen to it by B.J. Lederman. The People's Pharmacy is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia, maker of high-potency cocoflavanol supplements that support cognitive and cardiovascular health. More information at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs, providing transparency through its Meet Your Herbs platform, tracing the origin and DNA of each product. More information at GaiaHerbs.com. Today's show is number 1319-1319. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. In the show notes, you'll find a photograph of the green nail syndrome, chloronychia, in the link to Dr. Heyman's article. And you'll also find information on low-dose minoxidil, you can subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. We post the show on our website, peoplespharmacy.com, on Monday morning. And you can sign up for our free online newsletter if you want to learn more about drug alerts and staying on top of health news. Thank you for listening. I'm Joe Graydon. 
Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.